Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Next question. My wife is doing a great job of hating me. At what point does her anger cross the line and become, begin to be ineffective for both of us, the one who betrayed her? Well, I think there's a lot of pieces to that. Number one, if me as the spouse who is an addict is doing all the stuff I need to do, I'm going to 12-step meetings or I'm going to groups or I'm going to therapy. I'm showing up on time. I'm being helpful in the home. I'm participating. I'm not being defensive. I read out of the doghouse which is my book for men who cheat. And I understand what my spouse is going through fully. And therefore I'm going to really follow the direction in there and respect her. If you're doing everything right. And I, and it's a lot, um, not perfectly, but you know, really seem like you're trying. I give it a year for your partner to be on what we call the roller coaster, to be ambivalently loving you, hating you one day and loving you the next. I think if you're doing everything right, that's eight months to a year, but it should be a slow kind of a little less and a little less and a little less, but they're still going to be reactive. However, after a year, maybe going on a year and a half, I will say to spouses, you know, at a certain point, your anger can become unproductive. And the message you want to give this person with your anger is actually, they already got that message. They're acting on that message. And now you're just pushing them away. Because if someone's really working hard to be the person you want them to be, you need to take that into account. And even though you are angry, go to your group of women and rage. And then come back and say, been mad. I I was really mad at the husbands tonight. We all got pretty pissed. But don't constantly bring your anger to him. I think it's important for every spouse to have a place to go where they can vent because we need some space from you, even your anger, even though we deserve it, because we have to grow and we have to heal. And if you're constantly after us, it pushes us at a certain point, it pushes us away. On the other hand, I have seen addicts after three months, when are you going to get over it? It's been four months. Why are you know, and it's a good year. Let me give them a metaphor, if that's okay, Tammy. I use this when I talk. Um, So imagine that you run a small business, let's say a dry cleaner or whatever it is, and you hire some young person to work for you, you need the help, and they're doing a really good job, and they're really kind of a needful kid, you like them, but you know, they're not doing well at home, whatever. And one day you come in early, they have the keys, they opened up, 
And you saw them, they didn't know you were there, taking money out of the petty cash box. Not a lot, 10, 15 bucks. And you walk up to them and you know they know and you know and you have this long conversation, but you have a feeling for this kid. You think maybe he's just desperate. So you let it go. You write him up. You tell him if it ever happens again, blah, blah, blah. And, he's, and you were right. He's been a great employee. It's never happened again. You're always checking. And, and it's been great and fine. And he regrets having ever done it. Great. You made the right decision. However, if four years later, you go to work early one day and you see that same guy in front of the petty cash box as you're walking into work, it doesn't matter if he is just cleaning it with Windex. That idea of what he did four years ago will always be there and it will come right back up. I wonder if he's what he, back at what he was doing again. And I tell you that story because I want to put it in a completely different context, what betrayal is like and how easily it can be re-engaged when someone is simply doing something that reminds someone something of what they used to be doing. So it really requires on the part of the addict a great awareness about living differently and acting differently if they want to keep their relationships and or they want their relationships to be happy. So the next couple of questions are, they all kind of are similar. On, yeah, they're on a theme. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to kind of okay. combine them. So we've got a partner who's going like, you know, he, he's just not getting it. He's right out of the doghouse, long-term marriage, really frustrated. And then separately, and I don't know that these are connected, but you know, i I, will I ever get empathy? I've tried a couple times. I stumble around. You know, I keep hurting my wife. So, so let's talk about somebody who's been kind of dabbling around, trying and trying. You mentioned it early. Get a higher level of help. So let's let's expand on that a bit. Well, I just I think the issue that you're talking about is my spouse has stopped, or my partner, whoever it is, they've learned to stop the behavior. Or they seem to be stumbling around, but they're really onto something, it's and they're over really, over a year. But yeah, we're but they're still, not nice yeah. people, and yeah. especially a lot of your partners. I don't blame you. You feel like you know I put up with so much. The least I could get is somebody who's warm and fuzzy, or listens to me, or is not so narcissistic. Or and the thing is, I really want you to understand. First of all, if we're not in therapy, we're not going to get there. Trail step programs can help us work on ourselves on every level. But the depth to which we need to explore ourselves is not available in that environment. And so if you want someone to work on the kind of person they are and how they treat other people in the world, it's 15 years in a 12-step program or go to 12-step meetings to get a therapist. They'll go a lot faster. Um, recovery doesn't mean we know how to be a nice person. Recovery doesn't mean that we, can, we actually have empathy for you. Recovery simply means I'm on a road to change and I've stopped my behavior and I'm committed to that road and I'm committed to changing it. Um, it doesn't mean that I know anything about how to be a nice guy. So, and this is really my truth. I had to go to a lot of therapy to learn about situations and people that I didn't understand. You know, I think there's a great arrogance that addicts have because we think we got it together. We got it going on. We know what we're doing. And just because we get sober and we stop the behavior that we felt bad about doesn't mean we still don't think we rule the universe. And um, so whether it takes, how do I say this? Stopping the behavior is something I can do in a month or two, becoming, or even less, becoming a good person can take a long time. A lot of therapy, I will say, as Tammy wants and encourages me to say that going to treatment certainly will kick your butt and we won't let you get away with being, uh, we do teach people how to live in a family and be a good person, that we do. Um, and that is what wives tell us, that we, I finally have somebody I can work with. But you know, we were, we're broken people. This, and let me just say this one last thing. 
to all of you, the problem that we exhibit to you, the cheating, the lying, the sexual behavior, the porn, that is the, that's the part of the iceberg that's, that you can see outside the water. But below it, if you know anything about icebergs, there's a lot more underneath there, keeping that little piece afloat. The behavior is a symptom. It's not the problem. People need to get control of the symptoms so they can begin to look at the problem. But sex and porn addiction are an intimacy disorder. And they require more than just stopping the behavior. They require learning how to have an intimate, loving relationship, not just with my partner and myself, but with a lot of people around me. It requires learning how to be a different kind of person. Um, I was quite the asshole for a very long time. Uh, I don't think I knew you as well, Tammy. But, you know, uh, the, every meeting is, is a little bit of sandpaper. Every therapy session is a little bit of sandpaper. You don't do that stuff, you're going to be a rock and you're going to cut people. Okay, question um, from a male. Hi, I have been a compulsive user of fantasy to escape unwanted feelings since I was 10. I learned to use sexual fantasy and masturbation a few years later, and I masturbated so much that my penis frequently had bleeding sores and that would stick to my underwear. I added pornography in high school and continued in my addiction uninterrupted until 2012. Six years into my marriage, Oh, 2012, six years into my marriage. In the past eight years, I have struggled with recovery, reading books, participating in recovery groups, taking every step I know how. I've tried working with my recovery alone. I've tried counseling. I've tried recovery groups. I have not walked the steps with a sponsor, and I have never seen a counselor who specializes in, is in addiction or sexual addiction. I'm living in a rural part of the Philippines with my wife and two children. I participate online recovery groups three to four times a week. I do a faster scale check-in, uh, faster, all caps. So I think that I, I'm not familiar with that, but I assume that um, means something for each letter. In every day, which I share with my sponsor, I serve my community in a variety of ways. I'm active in some recovery-focused chat groups. And that's where it ends, but... I suspect the question is, but I'm How can I get struggling. Yeah. So, so please. Well, I, I think, Tammy, you would agree that really, if you can, and we can certainly refer you, we don't get kickbacks, but if you want to write me or Tammy, that's Tammy at Seeking Integrity, which is a four letter word, T-A-M-I. Um, we'll be glad to refer you to people who really know what they're doing. And, you know, I just have to say to you, I, I, I didn't get, I wasn't able to over three years. It took me three years. So, I really do understand your struggle, but one of the things that really helped me is I needed to see a psychiatrist and get on medication because I didn't understand the degree of depression that I was experiencing and how much just trying to climb out of that was actually related to my acting out because I'd been working it for a while and it should have been getting better, but it wasn't in the way I wanted to. And that was helpful. I also spent some time in treatment at Karen Foundation, as a matter of fact. And I think treatment for me was like doing a year of therapy because I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to do anything. The only thing I could focus on was me and my, I mean, not just me, but the work I had in front of me and, uh, and the people I was with. And I found that, you know, if you find a place for treatment or you want to join us, we have had people come from South Africa, from the Philippines, from where else, Tammy, uh, Japan, Bali, I think. Australia. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they come for my expertise and the work that we do. And you're certainly welcome. If you want interested in that, talk to Tammy, but the bottom line is, um, there's only so much you can do. You can go to meetings, you can see a therapist, you can, and then you need more specific direction than maybe you're getting. Because I think a lot of this work is about someone really being able to zero in on where you need to get moving. And uh, 
you know, that takes somebody who knows what they're talking about. So anyway, Tammy, any thoughts for you? Yeah, no, it, it, same thing. It, it was the, the stopping the behavior is critically important, but addressing the underlying issues, there's a reason, you know, that right. I use fantasy to escape unwanted feelings since I was 10. This has been going on a long time. That's the stuff that like, what were those unwanted feelings? Why, you know, all of, why was there not a safe place to talk to somebody? I mean, all of those things, that's what treatment. Trauma. Yeah, well, but that's a treatment really addresses too. So, so working with a qualified therapist, you know, addressing those issues um, may help you um, be able to sustain recovery in a much quicker time frame. So, I want to actually add one more thing. It is perfectly normal, and I hope that some of you parents have experienced this, for little boys to touch their penis and little girls to touch their vagina because it feels good to them, and they're just learning about their body. And I talked to parents all the time. It's like, that's fine. Better not at the grocery store, but nonetheless, they're just learning about themselves. It's normal because it feels good even to them. Not the way we experience it, but it feels good. Unfortunately, for those of us who need to find a way to survive really difficult circumstances, fantasies and self-touching and all that can easily evolve into where you are now. And I agree with Tammy, you have to look at the trauma. You know, there's one thing to say, I, you know, I was having some issues at 10. It's another thing to say, you know, you were losing yourself to fantasy and escape before you even were went through puberty. So, I mean, there are definitely some treatment er, uh, treatment therapy, whatever you want to call it. I don't think this is just a meetings issue. Um, thanks for the question. Yeah. We, well, and you know, I mean, when you're, when you're bleeding, I mean, that like, it doesn't feel good anymore because you know, you're hurting yourself. So tell me, what did you just say? I'm sorry. I didn't well, quite his, he was masturbating the to the point part, where he, 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 he was masturbating to the point where his penis oh, was bleeding. So I understand. Yes. Got it. Yeah. I thought so, you were talking about the, if you're bleeding in the larger sense and I'm, I yeah, didn't no, no, go no. ahead. No. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. Next question, three years post-discovery date, a few months back, I began receiving disconcerting red flags with my SAPA husband's current therapist, not a CSAT, and did not feel safe continuing with him. Though he fought me on it, my husband finally agreed to see a qualified person to assist him with his part. However, the only two visits, or after only two visits with his CSAT, APSAT certified counselor, is now saying that she will not move forward with a formal disclosure because my husband tells her I have betrayed him by omissions of things I am guilty of. Even I haven't been loyal to the hilt over the 30 years of our marriage. I am perplexed as to why in the world a qualified therapist would ever feel it was in a partner's best interest to further traumatize and violate her by making her errors and imperfections in the marriage inclusive in the addict's disclosure. Sounds like codependency to me. <laughs> Let's look at everybody's part and see how much we can blame a spouse for just hanging in there and loving. Um, so just that's pro-dependence is what comes to mind just in terms of I see spouses be so hard on themselves because of the models that we've set up for them where they have to examine themselves. And why did I 
marry this person? Why am I with this person? What's wrong with me? For, I mean, all this stuff. And, you know, one of the things I just really encourage is a little bit of self-love in a situation like this. But Tammy, why don't you say more and I'll come back. Well, my thought was, I hear him telling you what the therapist said. And that Good was point. a huge red flag to me because like, unless, I mean, and the therapist could have said it, but if you were in the room and you heard it, that's one thing. If he's saying, well, my therapist says, you know, addicts lie. So like, I wouldn't believe it. So it's one of the, and it, and after only two sessions, wow, this therapist is making all these grand, um, you know, grand motions of like, oh no. So, so I would be very skeptical of that's what really was said. Um, and if you have a qualified therapist that you're working with, it absolutely would be fair for you to schedule a meeting with your therapist, his therapist, and the two of you to get clarity on what was really said and what is the plan for a formal disclosure, especially three years post-discovery date. That's a long time. I, I just want to say not every person that we work with we would refer to or we like. Therapists are terrible, okay, good, great, and amazing. You know, they go across the whole scale. And so just to say, just because he didn't, I, I'm going with Tammy on the line, but in case he just really ran into someone who's difficult, and we know some people who I, we would not refer to, you might want to reach out and see if there's someone else in your area that he could talk to. You know, I try to interview a few therapists before I decide on who I'm going to see, and it may just be that, you know, it wasn't a fit. But what to Tammy's point, what, 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 per, what a perfect line to tell you why he couldn't see this therapist. You know, what a great thing to feed you that he was asking, trying, working on the things that were wrong with you. Um, that would encourage you to want him to leave that person too. And I think that's just the kind of thing an addict would do. Well, she, she did add that apparently that therapist told her therapist that that, that was also her stipulation. So, uh, so that therapist, yeah, make another choice. Yeah, yeah. We don't know their name. All no. everyone gets to see. Everyone is trained in this. They go through five days of training, but what we don't train, I don't, I'm not a part of the CSEP, but I am a CSEP, I'm not part of it. But I know what they do is focused on these issues, sex, relationships. So if the person isn't a great therapist in the first place, then they have some knowledge that they're not going to manage very well. So someone has to have really good skills and then add it to it. This is a specialty. So it kind of works like that. And sometimes we run into people who were never great therapists to begin with. But I would never go along with what your husband said, ever. So that needs checking out. Well, and at the end of the day, if the point is to start healing the relationship, clearly this is not helping anything. Like, you know, and, and, and particularly if he defenses, well, I'm going to this therapist because you wanted me to go see a different therapist. And now I've got to qualify. Like Dr. Rob just said, having the letters behind your name is useful. If you're a good therapist, you'll take that information and use it. There's lots of CSAT therapists I refer to. There's lots I don't. Just saying. So, Well, there's something else in there, Tammy, I think it's important to mention, which is, um, oh, I lost the I just put it in the answer. Sorry, I thought you were. Oh, that's okay. Um, There was just something about you're being blamed. I just think it's so easy for spouses to fall into that. And I'm really glad that you're sitting back and saying, no, he can't put this back on me. And And that was really my point. You can only work on one person's issues at a time in that way. If you've been recently having affairs, recently acting out in that way, last five years, last three weeks, 
it would be hard to figure out who needs more help because you guys have really screwed things up. Um, if this was 12 years ago, 15 years ago, but his behavior has been consistent over time, he has been hurting and is much more active at a problem behavior than you are. So let's look at his behavior over years. And then when he gets that together, then maybe in a few months, he can talk about issues in the relationship that hurt him. But there's an implication here, I think, because of what you did, I'm doing this. And that's just a bunch of BS. So the next question, my essay boyfriend rejected my boundaries in order for me to move back into the apartment we share together and thinks I'm trying to control his life and recovery and says he's not up for negotiation or discussion. I told him I need those boundaries in order to work on our relationship together and I'm going to move back in anyway. But if I, but if he won't give up what I need to feel safe, then we can stop working on our relationship. I feel like I've lost complete hope at this point. We're three months post-discovery. He's relapsed with masturbation and porn three times in the last four weeks. I don't know if he'll ever get out of this addiction because he won't go inpatient and only has SAA meetings and therapy. How should I go about living in the same apartment now that we've decided to essentially just be roommates and leave each other alone to work on our own respective recoveries? Is there hope and can he actually get into recovery instead of white knuckling it? He blames me for a lot of his relapses. Okay. So there's only, I, I, I heard a whole bunch of words, but there's only one thing that stood out to me about this entire thing. And I have a feeling Tammy's going to say it too. Um, the word starts with the word and, and I'm going to move back in anyway. That's really all I need to read. I just closed it. That's all I need to read. Your boundaries are porous. Your boundaries are easy to push aside. And it sounds like you've sold yourself out for, I don't know, love or hope, or I don't want to move in with somebody who screwed up my life, at least until they have their shit together. And if they don't have their shit together, I ain't moving back in. So you're saying this guy's a mess. I left because he's a mess. He's still a mess. And I'm moving back in. What was the point in leaving? Honest. And I, tell, I shoot from the hip. So you want to stand up to someone and say, change your behavior, then you need to be behind it in terms of what your boundaries are and stick to them. That one's on you. Because I got to tell you, I, have, I work with many spouses and you guys, I'll just say it again. I say this all the time. You can say, I'm going to leave if you ever do this again or whatever you want to say about it. I'm going to leave if you're still an asshole. I'm going to leave. You don't go to meetings. I'm going to leave whatever it is. But if the agreement you've made is broken, you better be ready to leave. Because if you don't leave and you said, I'm going to leave if, then your word means nothing. And addicts notice that. Oh, she said she was going to leave and she didn't. And I got away with it. Great. So you have to understand the mind of who you're dealing with. And, uh, and with that, I'll pass it over to Tim. I, same spot. I picked up. If you just want a roommate, there's other people to be roommates with. There's other living situations. So, so I, I mean, he's given you lots of, of course there's hope that he'll get recovery, but Dr. Rob, I actually quoted you about 18 times from last Mondays when you talked about of the thousand addicts you treat 995 right. are only there to try to stop the negative consequences. Five right. of them actually want to do self-improvement. When but they get there. Yeah. The, the odds are really like if there's no negative consequences, of course they're not going to change. Why? You, as we just answered a little bit ago, uh, you know, the first question, it was like, I, you know, I learned to dissociate at age 10. You know, I, there were negative feelings. So this is old patterns and we're now saying, and we want you to learn to 
handle those uncomfortable feelings. You don't have tools yet and it's going to be really uncomfortable. So, so of course not. So, so it's one of those things where I would invite you to start looking at apartments.com or whatever I, you know, uh, but look for another family for friends. Yes. Another living. And it's not because it's not to affect change in him because he's going to change or not. It's to really stand behind yourself as a woman and say, I'm not going to stand up for myself to be better treated and cared about and then walk back into the same situation where I'm not well treated and not cared about. It's about you're standing up for yourself no matter what he does. And this you might need help with. Tammy, do you want to say anything about the partners groups? I would. And I, yes, yes. So we have multiple betrayed partners from a prodependence lens on our sex and relationship healing.com site each week. So on Sunday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time and on Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific time, those are two betrayed partner for women. There's a men's group on Tuesday nights and there's an old lady posse on Tuesday morning. So all on sex and relationship healing.com. You'll see them on the events tab and you can click right through to those. But I also was thinking, um, you trying to live in a situation where you, you were in a relationship and now you're going to be roommates. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, that's hard on you. You're going to, gonna happen. you're going to be mm-hmm. feeling bad about like it, it should have been, it could have been and all that. And he's going to be a constant reminder of, you know, that that isn't going to work out. So I would invite you to, you've got lots of data. I would invite you to, to find another living situation and eventually find a boyfriend that cares about you and wants to be a partner with you instead of doing it. I have one more thing about that. If you don't mind. Um, What I read in that entire letter, because I reread it while you were talking to me is a focus completely on him. Your life, your life is dependent on whether he gets recovery or whether he does. He is pulling you around by the string. There has to be a way that you can take back your life rather than pointing, well, he does this and when he does that. And, you know, it's good if you're married and you're living with someone, you want to track what they're doing. You do want to make sure they're doing things. But in this situation, he's not doing his job. Why reward it? Reward him by reappearing in a way that'll just make it easy for him to do it again. You know, Tammy, can I tell you something else? I think some of the folks that we work with really believe that it's going to get better and I'll do whatever I can. And, and yet the person isn't really doing very much. And you have to understand words are, words are not deeds. And in this thing, this addiction thing, it requires concrete action, consistent action over time, long periods of time to get well. So, and also the other, well, I went to that therapist I've done with that group. This is a lifelong journey. This is like alcoholism or any addiction. It doesn't go away under stress. It will reappear. Someone's having a baby. It will reappear. You have a job problem. They have to, you have to constantly be aware and work on it. It's not, I go get fixed. One more thing. We run a treatment center seeking integrity. We, I think we grow boys into men. That is really on some level. I think what we do over and over again. We take silly little boys and turn them into honorable men, but we work with them for two, two weeks or a month. It's up to the, that work will help them blossom and grow and become more clear and kind of shake their tree on a whole bunch of levels and teach them how to not act out. But they're going to leave treatment with a little piece of paper that, or a big one that says everything they're supposed to do when they go home. 
And it doesn't matter how amazing treatment we've gotten, how much trauma they work through, how many issues you guys, because you guys are involved in treatment, how many couple sessions, it doesn't matter. Um, because if they're not motivated, if they're not in test, if they don't want to do it, they'll come home and, and you'll see them for a little while doing much better. But without, if they don't follow the thing on the list, the meetings, the therapy, meetings with you every day to help you understand what's going on every day, day by day, their healing is going to degrade. No treatment center, just like no cancer center, can say we're going to cure you. But what we can do is give you the chemo, put you on the right track. Um, but there may be, there are absolutely things that peace people have to do for themselves. So enough said. I know you thought I'd never stop talking. No, no, no. But I just, I like with, with this one, I just, you know, it's a tough one. No, but I, I I really agree that, you know, it's, it it is challenging. I talked to some, I was going to say, I talked to somebody earlier today and you know, the whole thing is stopping. So they were, they hadn't really gotten into recovery, but then they stopped going to meetings and they stopped doing this. And, or I like this, he won't do, and, and I like, like Dr. Rob does these presentations and he goes, and that sets my hair on fire. And I go, and I feel like my hair is on fire. Cause I'm like, he won't do anything to really help, you know, repair the hot mess that he has. But I was thinking with that last one and he blames you. If you are now removed from the situation, he, you know, he can't blame you. So we are pre-formal disclosure. Sometimes I do want to have sex or physical intimacy with my husband. Number one, does that mean that there's something wrong with me that I want to be intimate with someone who has shown me that he is untrustworthy? And two, when is the right time to be intimate again? How long do I have to wait? So can I leave the second part of the question to you, Tammy? Sure. And I'm going to ask the first one. Okay. Um, so I have a very simple line about this that I say over and over again, and it is worth goals. So think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? Would you really want to have sex with someone you don't trust to let them into your body or what, not just emotionally, but physically, and you don't trust them or where they've been? So I think you need to hear disclosure before you have sex. There's nothing wrong with you to want to be closer to someone, to want to feel you know, encourage them, stand up for them. And by the way, when you guys start to get this information that we've acted out or how, when you start to get our history, even if you don't have disclosure, this is going to sound weird, but a lot of you actually feel closer to us and want to be sexual with us. And that has to do with in part, you know, now, like you finally get us and you know, everything's been going on and you feel like this burden has been lifted to some degree and you want to get close to us because we've been closer to you. When you find out what we've been doing, like it or not, that's intimate. You know more about us and you're more in. So, um, so yeah, how this intimate act plays out would uh, like the, the disclosure and all that would tell me a lot about when I was going to be sexual again with this person. And by the way, I highly recommend masturbation. Um, if that works for you, you, you can have a sexual life, but not with him, not nothing wrong with wanting one, but who knows what the heck he's done. So let's wait. And by the way, I think it's six or eight months at least. Well, no, that's not fair. I think it's a good 60, 90 days before someone, once someone is really sober and you feel and you see that they're working, I would not deny intimate relationships longer than, you know, a couple of months or, but there has to be real recovery in place and everybody has to see it and acknowledge it. Um, anyway, tell me that's what I got one, well, as to part number two, when is the right time? You know, that, that makes it so, 
right and wrong. And so, I mean, you know, you guys get to choose. And so, but I, I really hold with what Dr. Rob said. It's like, you know, why would you want to? And I think that that's telling too. It's like, what is it that, you know, like you can masturbate. So what is it that you are looking for from this intimate act to, you know, because an orgasm is an orgasm on some level. So go masturbate. So if it's, you're with him, what is it you're looking for with him? And, and I would say, how also long that, do I have to oh, wait? Sorry. So no, I was just to say, and is how long do I have to wait? It's like, you know, like, like this is putting a crimp in my style kind of thing. You don't have to wait, you know, there's sex with self. So. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.